let's just say amen because we've had the message, okay? I mean, the message of the songs come thou found of every blessing, great is thy faithfulness. That's the passage. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to have you all stand. I just want to say a few things. First of all, thank you for just praying for us as elder board and for us as preaching. Uh, there's times, and I'm just speaking for myself, where we feel overwhelmed. Uh, that was one of these weeks that I personally did. Uh, you know, you can see how I was overwhelmed. I had the wrong passage. I had the wrong book. I had all sorts of things as I've had to revamp a whole bunch of stuff. But the Lord is gracious uh, and he's helping us. So, we're going to be talking about 1 Peter 3 through 4. I want you to see several things in this passage as we study it. First of all, I want us to notice that there's a doxology, a word of praise to God in the very first sentence of verse 3. I think that's advantageous. Peter begins this section with a word of praise to God. Everything else in this section is really a recounting of God's blessing to us. So the first sentence has you blessing God, and the next several sentences are Peter's recounting God's blessing to you. By the way, as we saw today and as we see almost every other Sunday, it's a perfect picture of what happens in worship. Have you ever thought of that? You bless God, then God's blessings to you are recounted through the word as it is read, as it's preached, as it's prayed. And I can tell from today as we sing your beautiful word. That's the rhythm of worship, blessing God, then receiving God's blessings. That's what happens in this passage. I'd like you to see three parts of that account before we even read the passage. The first thing that we will see is a focus on God's great mercy. It says, according to his great mercy. Reminding us that God's mercy is fundamental to all his other blessings. Then he lists two blessings that flow from the new birth in Christ. A living hope, as Bill so aptly said. I love Bill. He's, he's, he's just so positive. We see that in verse 3. And an inheritance that will never fade. And we see that in verse 4. Remember what Peter is doing here. He is writing to Christians who are under duress. You may have come here this morning feeling under duress. I can raise my hand. There may be a family problem, a job problem, a health problem. There may be something that you're dealing with in your heart that's discouraging you. 
This is who Peter is speaking to right now. He's speaking those words. So please, if I can have everybody stand for the word of God. This is the word of God. 1 Peter 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words. What a wonderful passage of scripture that you are about to allow me to impart. Lord, give me the calmness, the graciousness to proclaim your words so that we can get blessed today, Lord. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. The main object of this letter is to raise us above the world in order that we may be prepared and encouraged for the battle of our spiritual warfare because we know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities. The Christian life is a fight. It's not easy. Hard things happen. Discouraging things happen. Okay. I don't have to repeat 2022 or 2019 or 2020 or what any of those last few years for us. We need to realize that we are not being invited to a tea party, but to a war. So my question is, how are you prepared for that war? In other words, are you going to fight the fight of the Christian life? In order to do that, you need to know the blessings of God that he has bestowed upon us. You need to know the blessings that he has given us because of his great mercy. When we realize what God has given us, when we understand his blessings, we won't be scrounging around like paupers. Okay, I, you know, I don't know why Christians, they, they look so downtrodden at times and prune face and everything else. We don't need to be like that. We don't need to hope that somebody's going to give us a blessing. But we need to realize how much God has given us. Great is thy faithfulness. That's what Peter's talking to. He's talking to us as Christians. And he says in this passage, the first thing he does, you, you realize what he does first? He tells us to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with a doxology. How many times do things that we do in life start with, oh, we have this problem and that problem, and why is it morning, and why do I have to go to work, or what, you know, why, why, why? Well, this is what Christ says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter starts this passage with not an admonition, but with a doxology. 
He reminds us that it's always time to give praise to God regardless of what is happening. There's never a time when a Christian can't give praise to God. And like so many children, so many of us say, why? Well, it says, because of his great mercy. That's the first blessing I want to talk about because everything outflows from that. My friends, when you face duress, when you face troubles, when you face hardships, don't forget to praise God because our praise is not circumstantially rooted in things. It's rooted in who our God is. And guess what? That's never going to change. He's the same today as he was yesterday, as he is going to be forever. Look again at verse 3. Notice that as soon as the doxology is given, as soon as he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he now focuses on God's mercy. According to his great mercy, biblical praise, Biblical doxology is never rooted in our circumstances because if it was, it would go up and down and up. We, you know, I think we have spiritual yo-yos, okay? okay? One of the things I loved to do when I was a kid was to do the Dunkin' yo-yos and walk the dog and do all sorts of things. Okay, what well, sometimes I think Christians are just like that, okay? We think our praise is rooted in circumstances. No, it is rooted in who God is and what he has done for us. And here Peter focuses on God's great mercy. Christian praise is supernaturally grounded in the gift of great mercy to us by the triune God. Therefore, our praise is always or should always be a response to what God is and what he's done for us. So I asked this rhetorical question. How can a Christian praise a sovereign God in the face of trials, in the face of suffering? It's simple. Only if you have seen, or only if you have accepted mercy, okay? Only if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The reason that we're going to come before him with singing and praising him with a joyful and cheerful voice is because the Lord is good. As we sang, his mercies endure when? Forever. It's, as I said a couple weeks ago, his mercies are new every moment. Okay? And his truth will always stand forever. The focus is God's mercy. That's the ground of our praise. That's what enables us to praise God in every circumstance. But did you notice that verse? Look a little bit closer to verse 3. What's the mercy given for? It tells us. According to his great mercy, here it is, here's the causal effect, here's the, okay, and therefore, 
He has caused you, each one of us, to be born again. What a wonderful blessing bestowed among us by Christ. God has given you a new life. He's made you alive. Do I need to remind you what Ephesians 2 said? You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he's raised you to newness of life. Or let me, okay, you, you don't want to hear Ephesians? Let me take you back to the Old Testament, okay? Look at the picture of Ezekiel 37. You were a valley of dry bones. And what has he done for you? Well, he's spoken the word. The spirit has brought the bones together. He's put sinews and muscles on you and brought you back to life. And back into the land. Or again, remember the conversation with Nicodemus? You can't see the kingdom of God unless you are what? Born again. It's not what we do, but it's something that God has given us. The new births that's being talked about here is a gift from God to us from his mercy. Peter wants us to realize that God has given that to us. Our new life flows from the heart of a merciful Christ. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, all those who trust in him alone for salvation, he has offered this newness of life. Peter wants us to understand that. A lot of the songs we sang today want us to understand that. That the grand gift of God's mercy was what? The new birth. You are a new creation or you can be a new creation. That's what, that's why we as elders picked that verse for the month. Okay, he's going to make all things new. That's a picture of what it means to be a believer, and that's the gift of God's mercy. According to the mercy of God, you've been given the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, what's the purpose for that? Well, there's two other things in this passage that flows from us receiving that new birth. The first is a living hope. Yes, as Bill said, we're going to talk about hope. You've been born again through the resurrection of Christ to a living hope. That is, when you were saved, when you were regenerated, you were given a living hope. Okay, that sounds so applicable. But what does living hope really mean? Well, first of all, let's look at that little preposition, into a living hope, okay? Into a living hope sets forth the present character of our pilgrim's life. We are in a journey. 
into indicates the results of our new birth. It has given us a living hope as the energizing principle of the new life, okay? When we become Christ, we get more alive. As used here, hope is not an objective prospect that the gospel sets before the believer, but it's the subjective attitude of expecting the future. Vincent, one of my favorite Greek commentators, says hope, the word hope, means there's something special to expect. There's a future good. That's what I think. You know, in the present turbulent world, the Christians are truly justified in viewing the future with optimism. We don't have to look, oh, we're going to die in this. No, there's hope. Our new God-given life has delivered us from hopelessness. Ephesians 2.12 says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Okay. No hope. But this living hope gives us a joyous expectation of what God still has in store for his people. This hope is not just hope, but what, what word is attached to hope? It's a living. It's a living hope, okay? Living means to breathe. To be among the living and not the lifeless. It means to enjoy real life. To have True life worthy of the name of Jesus. Hope means to be active. It means to have vital power. It means we have full vigor. Oh, that would be nice, right? To be fresh, to be active, to be powerful. That's what the word living means. Now, if you go back, Insert some of those words, those synonyms of living into this passage. He's given us a breathing hope, an active hope, a real hope, a hope that's worthy of his name. This should help you begin to understand why Peter wants to convey it. While living is a verb, okay, yes, generally it is a verb. In this contact, it's not. It's an adjective. It's an adjective that expresses a vital and dynamic aspect of the hope God has given to every one of us as believers. Living is the quality of the hope believers now possess in Christ. Living is in the present tense, which speaks of our hope as possessing an abiding quality. 
Present means it's happened and it's going to continue to happen. A living hope is never extinguished by circumstances. And I know, me included, we feel like it is. But you know, let me tell you a little secret. God's word remains true regardless of how we feel. And why is a believer's hope a living hope? Well, here's the biggest thing. Because a hope is not in a principle, but it's in a person. And that person is living because he has been resurrected from the dead. And because he lives eternally, we also can have this life eternal. That is our sure, steadfast, and unchangeable living hope. Beloved, no matter what you might be experiencing as you listen to these words, it's my prayer that this irrevocable truth from God sinks deep into our hearts so that it can renew our minds. It can encourage us that because your hope is a living hope and not a dead hope, The best is yet to come. What a blessing. It's a living hope. It's a living hope to have as new creations in Christ. But if you look at that passage, secondly, let me go back to that passage. Let me flip a few more pages back. Let me read that passage again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The second thing we get is an unfading inheritance. Let us focus on what it means to have this unfading inheritance. And as I do sometimes, I'm going to take you word by word here. We're going to kind of talk about it. So let's first of all talk about just that word inheritance. Originally, it denotes the the portion which one received by lot. Hence, the portion that one received as his possession, okay? Okay. That's as simple what inheritance means. Okay, you're going to be given something, okay? Now, it may refer to a present possession. If you look at Galatians 3.18 or Hebrews 11.7, that inheritance is present. But in 1 Peter 1.4, it clearly refers to an expected possession. Again, look at Colossians 3.24, Hebrews 9.15, It is the heavenly kingdom that will be fully manifested at the return of Christ. As members of God's family, we are already heirs. Yet our full possession of the inheritance awaits the future. The adjectives that follow were probably intended to establish a contrast between the heavenly inheritance and the earthly inheritance. But they're significant, okay? 
They're significant. So what are these adjectives and how do they relate to the inheritance? I'm just going to very briefly talk about each one of those words. First, the inheritance says it's imperishable. Imperishable. What does that word imperishable mean? Well, it means nothing can corrupt it. Nothing can ruin it. It's not liable to pass away. It's not subject to corruption, decay, or dissolution. Okay. So it is imperishable. Okay. This inheritance is totally unlike any earthly inheritance we've ever talked about. Right? A lot of us, of us a Christian inheritance cannot be ravaged by hostile forces. Nobody can touch it. Sometimes wills, okay, we've all had family members pass away. Sometimes wills are successfully contested by parties not mentioned in them. Sometimes people are deprived of an inheritance because of legal technicalities. So many inheritances vanish away before they even are attained, or they quickly squandered away when we get them, but not this one. It's imperishable. Nothing can ruin it. Secondly, it is undefiled. Undefiled means without contamination. It's unpolluted. It's unstained. It's unsoiled. It's without impurity. See, our inheritance is in perfect condition. Free from any spot or dirt. It has nothing in it that defiles. Our inheritance is pure as the driven snow and free from any and all effects or fluences that try to discount it. The woke society is not going to do anything with this. Sin's not going to do anything. It cannot disappoint us in any way. It's undefiled. Thirdly, I love this one. It will not fade away. Our inheritance will not lose its pristine quality or character, right? Just imagine the perfect diamond or the perfect picture by one of the artists of the Grand Masters. Depending on how it was stored, depending on what they did, they're going to lose some of the luster. Your inheritance is Christ is better than all of that because it will retain its priceless, unspeakable beauty forever and ever and ever and ever. It never fades away. Finally, it says it's reserved in heaven. As used here in First Peter, the ideal reserved is that our inheritance is being kept, held 
preserved for a definite purpose in a definite time. Furthermore, if you look at that, Peter uses the perfect tense, which pictures the reservation made in the past at Calvary. It's placed under safekeeping and is being held for each believer when we arrive at the box gate to pick up our tickets, so to speak. It's not like a human hotel or an airplane reservation where sometimes we discover to our dismay that the reservations have not been held for us but have given to someone else. This won't happen with the believer's inheritance. Jesus in Jude 1.1 says it this way. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept, same word as reserved, same identical word, for Jesus Christ. In other words, the saints have been kept guarded by God the Father with the present result that they continue to be the object of his permanent and watchful care. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a will? Do you have other valuable possessions in a safe deposit box? Peter here is saying here that heaven is the safe deposit box where God is guarding our inheritance for us under constant surveillance. Furthermore, reserved in the perfect tense speaks of the permanence, that's the beauty, permanence of this keeping because the perfect tense defines a past completed action having present results. When he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, it was done. It's finished. The perfect tense indicates that the heavenly inheritance became ours at the moment we believed in Jesus and that it is being kept, reserved for us until we depart this world and we become joint heirs with him. I saw this illustration that kind of just hit me square on thing about this unfading inheritance. It's an illustration that takes us back to Scotland. In Scotland, there was a bookshop called the First Church of Scotland Bookshop. The lady that ran the bookshop, her name was Mrs. Brand. She was a very kind and had been around there for a long time. Her daughter lived in Kuwait with her husband who worked for the British Foreign Service. So Mrs. Brand and her husband went to visit her daughter for a couple of weeks. So they went from Scotland to Kuwait. To their dismay, when they came back, they discovered that the house had been ransacked. It's been broken in. The family silver, the family china, her jewelry, some of his medals from the Second World War, had been stolen. And just paint a picture, those medals were the Victoria Cross, which is kind of our Congressional Medal of Honor. 
The man said, oh, Mrs. Bran, I'm so sorry. I know these things meant so much to you. They were of material value, but they were more of a sentimental value. I'm so sorry you've lost these things. And without blinking an eye, Mrs. Brand's response was this. Oh, the just babbles. At that moment, the person interviewing realized this Christian woman was really saying this. You know what? My husband and I are alive. We've got wonderful children. We've got the Lord. And yes, I am sorry that I've lost these things, but they're baubles in comparison to what we have in Christ. You see, that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying, it, you can go through tremendous losses in your life. You can lose everything. But the inheritance that God gives you, nobody, and I say nobody, can take it away. The children of God are heirs to a glorious inheritance. It's not an earthly inheritance, but a heavenly. It's not given to them in full possession in this world, but it's reserved for them in heaven. But while the inheritance is securely kept for them in heaven, they have the promise that God is watching them. They are kept by the power of God through faith. All our life in this world is intended to prepare us for one thing, to receive our inheritance. If we have troubles, here's my thing to you. We need not be afraid. We may rejoice in them all. If we have dangers, we need not to be dismayed because we have the promise of protection. Someday we shall see Christ, whom now we love but cannot see. Heaven is sure for all who are faithful in this world. If we do God's will and do not lose faith, we shall be kept in safety through this world and brought at last home to our inheritance. When we realize what God has given us, when we realize that he has given us his great mercy, when he's given us a living hope and not a dead hope, when he's given us an unfading inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, not able to take away, reserved for us, As I said earlier, we won't be scrounging around like paupers, hoping that somebody will give us a blessing. But instead, we'll realize how much blessing God has given us. Here's the encouragement. If you are already a Christian, then these blessings belong to you. So rejoice with great joy, like they said. Proclaim the gospel to others so that they can share in this same joy of being born again to a living hope and this incredible inheritance. And if you do not know yet, know Christ as your Savior, then today should be and needs to be the day of salvation.
please ask him to be your savior and Lord. Let me just read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you need to speak to somebody, any of us elders are available to talk to you about that. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can praise you. And we can praise you because of your great mercy. Your great mercy that gave us a new birth. We were dead and you gave us a life. And you've given us a living hope. And you've given us an inheritance that won't ever be taken away, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' most holy name.